IntelliKey Leadership Stories with Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn or visit our website, pureintellikey.com. Here's your host, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Welcome back, everyone, to our podcast, IntelliKey Leadership Stories. I'm Mark Stenson. I'm here with Kirsten Gouldy. Hello, everyone. Hello, Mark. Welcome back. It's great to be back. And we're continuing conversations with leaders, and we like to label them IntelliKey leaders. And Kirsten, I think these conversations are really opening things up about you know what's possible in the world with leadership these days. Yeah, isn't it really invigorating? We're finally seeing a turn where these principles and these ideas are being fully embraced. And there's a movement from the ground up, which is catalyzing the shift in leadership, you know, whether by choice or by necessity, who cares? It's happening nonetheless, and it's very exciting. So I'm excited to continue our conversation. Absolutely. And in that context, our guest today is Susan Robertson. Susan, welcome to our program. Hi, thank you, Mark. Thank you, Kirsten, for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Susan is the CEO and co-founder of a conscious business leadership company called Lensees. And we can't wait to get into what that name means and what's behind it. Susan consults with clients on their leadership practices to really help create and transform their organizations and conscious leadership that we espouse here on the podcast. So Susan, maybe we could just start there and the name behind your practice and what your company does. Okay. Well, the name behind the practice, originally it was my, the name was Conscious Business Insights. And we found out a company in England had the word insights trademarked, which I was like, wow. So we actually had to come up with another name and conscious business was the most important two words. And so then I started to look for where I want still to have insights. And so I found Lindsay's, which actually means to have keen insight. And this is something I've done for 30 some years is to help people develop keen insight, either personally or professionally help teams to do that so they can become more conscious or more awake and then to transform or make a difference. Mm -hmm. Lindsay's conscious business. Yeah. And that's how it came. And you've also authored a best-selling book called Real Leadership, and you use this word awakening, awaken to wisdom, to really look at the cultural transformation in teams and, and leaders. Well, the, the acronym REAL came to me back in 2016. I was on my way to Mexico, and I was in going from B gate to C gate in the Atlanta airport. This oh, I know that gate. Yeah, you know, <laughs> that long walk, right? That's right. I you know got, that gate. You got plenty of time to think. Yes, yes. Well, uh, I fly Delta a lot. So the Delta employees call that the Delta mile. So sometimes that's the way I get my exercise. But <laughs> it came to me, I was, I was trying to think of something that had four letters that would really epitomize how I had been working with leaders for a long time. Then the word real just sort of popped into my head and helping people to become resilient, which is means that it's the emotional intelligence piece, right? Self-awareness, self-regulation, well-being, the, that cognitive and emotional intelligence that, that's also in there. And then depending on how resilient you are will determine how well you engage whether you're going to be a micromanager, over-controlling, whether you're going to collaborate, whether you're going to be honest out, you know, with, with other people, bring inclusion, diversity, 
all of that. And so the, that's how real came to me. And then it was, well, and then if you're not depending on resilient is a, is a fulcrum, if you will, depending on your resilience level, it's going to determine how flexible and agile you're going to be, whether you're willing to get out of your comfort zone, whether you're willing to take risk, what's your risk tolerance. But then to balance that out, leading with wisdom is that compassion, that authenticity, that humanity. And that was one of the things, and, and discernment. When I, when I look at the really good leaders, and I feel like in the 30 some years that I've worked, that there's a probably less than 10 people that I would say would be real leaders. And there's many of the other that are striving. Um, people get so caught up in fear that the leadership wisdom side sort of goes out the window. And so, but you need discernment. That was a, a there's a difference between decision-making and discernment and then humanity. And right now I feel like we need a lot more humanity mm-hmm. in the way that we work because many of us, we get caught up in fear and we live the Wall Street quarter by quarter lifestyle as managers and leaders. And then that kind of quarter by quarter Wall Street thinking then permeates the entire culture. And that's a culture of fear. You know, this underlying notion of fear that is the driver for most human behavior, just even at a very primal level. And then you mentioned this Wall Street quarter by quarter, which I know oh so well. And then you go into many spiritual practices and there is no such thing as time and space. So you're trained in an alternative method, regardless that there's something much larger than the minute to minute playbook, like the football playbook. How do you shift that fear? Because that to me is the full permeation of all of the behavior. And it doesn't matter. It could be families. It could be society. It could be businesses. Like this is a, this conversation is applicable to every area of our life. It's not easy, but it has been something that you guys may have heard of Carlos Castaneda, who studied with a, a man named Don Juan Matus. And one of the things that he talked about, Don Juan Matus talked about, is that you have to stalk yourself. And I always liked that word because I thought it was provocative. What does a stalker do? It really, a stalker pays attention to when you're going to be most vulnerable and what your weaknesses are, you know, so then they can do bad things to you. And most of us don't stalk ourselves. We don't bear witness to what we do, how we do it, and the impact that it's having. We just get on that, that treadmill and we go and we go and we go. And we don't even realize that fear is driving us. You know, so for many years, and I still do this, my husband and I ran a five-day leadership program that was all dedicated to delayering fear. Mm -hmm. And so we have executives who come in and that's the whole entire goal is find the fear points, find the pain points, and then find how it's coming out and then giving them an alternative to rewire themselves so they don't get triggered by that. And they are able to do what Brene Brown calls, you know, tapping into that courage um, for when they need to, to stand up and maybe go against the grain of something. And that only comes through experience to get people into fear. You can talk, oh yeah, I have fear of failure or I have you know, fear of conflict, but that doesn't rewire it. Then it gets into deeper experiential things. And there was a woman at my home for two and a half days where that's all we worked on one-on-one. Yeah, you do. You do have to have that experience, don't you? I want to go back to something you said about decision making versus discernment, because Mm -hmm. there is that experience and perspective in that as well. Somebody who says, oh, I'm a really decisive leader. Well, that doesn't mean you have discernment to know what's relevant versus just what's factual. Well, I, I have a client and I love what he said. 
he's saying, I need you to help me with my team because what they don't understand is I know we can, but should we? Mm. And that to me is such a great line to distinguish between deciding and discernment. And I actually think discernment takes a lot more character, a lot more courage, because oftentimes you're, you're making big decisions around the direction, not whether, you know, uh, they were actually talking about uh, whether they should take the Monday after July 4th off and make that a policy, not that big of a decision. But the discerning part is, what is the future of work, whether they make that decision or not? And really evaluating that. And the CEO right now is like, nope, everybody, we got essential workers, we got to be equal. And then the, the you know, rest of the COO team is like, okay, we have to listen to what he says. And I'm like, do you? Yeah, I love that line right there. Do you need to listen, right? Like if we could apply that to every C-suite organization, right? Because in that too, I mean, that's a powerful line, right? Mm -hmm. You don't just fall in line because the person that has the perceived position of power, and I'm using the word perceived intentionally, Yes. right? There is no equanimity. There is no component of creativity in that field that you, that picture, right? If the other people on the team cannot be heard and voiced, the creativity is completely stifled. Yeah. Well, and this guy's style, I mean, if they all know him, he loves the debate. Well, that gets tired <laughs> sometimes, but it's just like, you know, when I said- I only wish I would have known that, that in 2002. Said, well, <laughs> said, well, you know, we could push back. And I'm like, so- Will you? You know, what is the decision that you're making that is going to be part of your future of work? You know, and they were also talking about, you know, the hybrid model and all that. And the CEO is like, no, no, no. And they're like, but, you know, the future of work. And I'm like, so he's asking you to be discerning and he's asking you to debate him. And so they're afraid to debate him, even though he's asking that, you know, so that's part of like why I'm there working with that team is like, okay, guys, I mean, He's a man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's one person. He's asking you to debate. And you're like, oh, don't want to piss him off. Well, and that goes back to that fear, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a really big conversation that's occurring right now. The power, you know, the enslavement of the paycheck, right? There is a lot of fear around surviving, right? Many people have families to feed. So if you push back, it could jeopardize other areas of your life that are so important, right? So there is not a real incentive to speak up or have courage because you could be in a position that puts, you know, your very livelihood at stake. But then people have to understand they're making a choice and that part of what's happening, and this is part of what we've been teaching for 30 some years, then if we're going to talk spirituality, you're selling your soul. Great. I, mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more with that. Could yeah, not it's, agree it's going to it. the heart of it right there. Right. And people will say, well, Sue, it's easy for you because you're an outside consultant. And I said, hey, look, you guys can fire me at any time. Mm-hmm. I'm more dispensable than each of you. If you don't like what I have to say or you don't like my coaching, I'm out the door. As soon as, as, soon as anything happens financially, advertising and consultants and training, they all get cut. So don't think that I am at any more secure than you are. 
But you know, you're really getting to the root too. I wanted to ask you, Susan, about this conscious leader now who's asking, should we versus can do? You know, the can do spirit is just every entrepreneur's dream. But now to, add, to twist that and say, no, the question is, should we, not can we? I'm so intrigued by that. Yeah. This particular CEO brings it up at every meeting that I have with him. And, and I'm hearing his direct reports team going, he says it every time. And I said, so believe him. This is a value. Yeah, you might have to go through in, in, in with, e with each other, you know, but he's asking for a constructive debate. So that's just your fear of the constructive debate. They haven't, this is an organization that, you know, at the senior suite, they've all been there more than 10 years each. Mm. They're not firing people. Right. That's a great point. You know? Yes. And, and, and they've got even bigger, you know, longer tenure years down. They're not firing people because they disagree. So then, you know, that, that, that's that inborn stuff. That's why, you know, for years, my husband and I did these workshops with, with leaders because we wanted to get back to the source coding within the individual that created the fear to begin with. And then rewire, and, you know, so that's when you get into, you hear neuro leadership or neuropsychology, because all of that stuff, Joe Dispenza talks about this stuff, all of this stuff is wired in the brain. And then it becomes just habit and you don't even realize you've just, you know, your whole system is now wired to avoid fear and you're no longer a choice. And then I can only imagine then that these uh, should we questions elevate from should we take the Monday off, you know, after 4th of July, but I mean, should we build another fossil fuel dependent, uh, you know, piece of machinery, should we uh, dispense of the, you know, waste this way, or should we build the packaging this way? I mean, the, the decisions and the discernment, as you called it, get even larger as you start thinking globally, right? Yeah, exactly. And the interesting thing was, is when I did my research for my book, because, you know, you always want to have the, the studies that show to validate, you know, your, your, your position. Um, yeah, I may have had 30 years, but what kind of studies can I show to provide evidence? Well, when you look up discernment, studies on discernment versus studies on decision-making, you find very little on discernment. The only place you see, or the primary place that you see anything talked about with discernment and leadership is in um, spiritual circles, mm -hmm. and, and in particular, Christianity. Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, I'm going to translate it said another way, right? There's a large influence right now on this notion of intuition, right? Yeah. Going deeper, using your intuition, using your guidance, applying wisdom, right? And having a higher knowing, right? A it, higher it's knowing. No, it's no longer just, this is the road in front of us. We've road, roadmapped a three-year plans and we're going to walk a very linear, narrow path. There's in that wisdom, there's, you know, that assessment on a daily basis. Is this the step I should be taking? And then having the agility, you spoke to it, that adaptability and the agility and the courage to adapt as necessary right? Exactly. And how that happens. And, and Mark, you said something too. I just, I have a question about this, you know, in the, should we, you brought, brought up very large environmental issues, right? And to me, I get excited about those because everybody who's listened to our podcast knows I'm constantly preaching something, right? 
So how many of these executives are making, should we environmental or diverse, any of these hot issues, right? Are they really having these should we conversations or are they just having, should we go in this direction to make more money or are they, should we really add policies that have an impact on all of the supply chain? You probably have heard of the business round table and the business round table you know, has put together, let's say, a new purpose of business. It's no longer Milton Eric, um, Milton Friedman, mixing my Milton's up, <laughs> but it's um, Milton Friedman's, um, you know, shareholder first or shareholder only. If you take care of the shareholder, everything else is taken care of. Well, we, we now know that that's not true because that leads to overconsumption, that leads to poor decision-making that leads to short-sightedness. Um, you know, with the business roundtable, they're now saying we've got to take care of at least five different stakeholders. And they're, and I'm finding that more and more people are buying into it, that, that, that they need to take care of community. They need to take care of employees. They need to take care of uh, their vendors or their, the, the relationships as well as uh, shareholders. And that if they do that and find a balance, they are actually going to, to make more money. I think it was um, Fred Kaufman that created an, uh, a definition of what a conscious business is. And he actually did a study you know, against uh, companies he you know, labeled as having these characteristics of a conscious business and then how they performed on the S&P, right? And over, a, I think it was a 10 year period don't quote me on that, but I think it was 10 years, the ones that were considered conscious business, according to his definition, outperformed your regular S&P 500 organization. So there's something to be said about taking care of community environment um, and taking care of all stakeholders. I am finding though that, uh, and it's, it's younger by let's say 10 years, is that the younger they are, 70 to 60, 60 to 50, the more as a whole, these leaders are open to that kind of consciousness in business mm -hmm. and the impact to community. You know, so the boomers are retiring, but they are more from the, that Milton Friedman mm -hmm. model. And so now getting younger and particularly then you get to millennials and Gen Zs, they are much more aware, much more concerned and looking for companies to live and be in that way. Yeah, so, I think yeah. we've seen that be foundational as well. Yeah. yeah. Well, Susan, this is obviously something you're very passionate about and, and studied yeah. about. Uh, what, uh, what about your own personal path and journey to get here? What, what drove you in this direction to develop this kind of consulting practice? Well, you know, the personal, personal side is I, I grew up having experienced trauma and abuse as well as homelessness. And, you know, part of my survival mechanism and my purpose was just to like never be, I can tell you I had, a, I will never be poor again kind of thing. Um, sort of like Scarlett O'Hara, you know, at the end. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and so I grew up with um, having a real consciousness around financial stuff, but because I grew up in neighborhoods where I saw a lot of, including myself, people being disadvantaged, people being marginalized, and then certainly the abuse side of things, physical, sexual, emotional abuse. I also knew I wanted to help people. When I 
looked into becoming like a social worker or psychologist that I will never be poor again out road my need to be a therapist because I saw that financially speaking, that wasn't going to be it. So I got actually got into banking, but then I started looking around and I was watching what was happening into banking and, and I was working myself through college at the time. So we'd have these college grads doing these, what is it? I wanna say routines is that they were coming through going uh, from area to area learning, right? These classes going through each area of the bank. And I used to sit there and I'd play a game and I'd say, okay, which, which person did I think was going to be the best one out of this group? And I didn't realize that, that at that time, I was actually looking for emotionally intelligent leaders, not just the smart ones, because most of these people that were coming through were of good school or what we called in Cleveland, blue blood. <laughs> and so, so it was just a game, you know, to, as I was like doing my input or whatever it was, wishing I could be that someday. Um, what made the difference. And so that's when I really started studying that. I studied it for myself personally. How do I avoid uh, creating what I grew up in? How do I create the life that I want? How do I balance being that person that can be helpful to others and yet still be able to have the kind of lifestyle that I never got to see? Mm -hmm. And so that's how I got into it was just that. And then there's there were many I would say angels along the way, people who helped me, helped me psychologically, going to, um, got a scholarship to a Catholic high school, got a lot of um, support in terms of learning meditation, learning alternate ways of dealing with the, the abuse that I suffered um, to find that inner peace. And so I just remembered going, okay, this is what I wanna do, but I can't do it in the form I thought. And then there was a company they are no longer in business called Far Associates. The same person who started Far Associates also started the Center for Creative Leadership. Mm -hmm. And Dr. Farr left the Center for Creative Leadership to create a more experientially based workshop. And so our bank sent us there and sent us through self-awareness training. Mm -hmm. And that, when I went through that, that was the fulcrum that said, okay, this is what I want to do when I grow up. So then I switched to, from a business degree to a psychology degree. Where, and then I saw how I could marry psychology and business together. You know, I was on the 10-year plan for college, you know, finished that up. And then my husband and I said, yeah, you know, our bank is being bought. Let's start our own consulting business, <laughs> not knowing mm. anything mm -hmm. about organizational development or leadership development. Yeah, I was 27 you, years old at the but time. You, but you figured it out. We figured it out. Yeah. What an amazing story. Yeah. Thank you. And we're always fascinated by these twists and turns that life, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's like, well, we had an opportunity, as we would call it, the bank's being bought. <laughs> and so we're being given the opportunity to start our own thing. Well, and it was, it was the question is like, did we see ourselves doing this for another 30 years of our life? And it was like, you know, if you guys could see me, I'm putting my finger down my throat. It was like, <laughs> no. <laughs> no. And, and, and then the second question was, if we didn't try, when we look back in life, would we be happy with ourselves? Yeah. And, and you know, you spoke earlier to this selling of the soul. I'm going to say I was that person. I, I stayed in corporate longer than the physical life that I had in it. And I, it was a selling of the soul. And it was a very high price to pay, you know, being in a technology company on the New York Stock Exchange, I paid a very high price in many areas. So I love that you really put it at that level because, and it was a choice. 
I chose it out of my own fears and as such have made such a pivot in my life that I love doing what I do. And that's what I, I know Mark loves what he does. I mean, we laugh, we have fun every day, you know, in, in our careers now, you know, and so I think for our listeners, it's a very important piece. Like everybody has a price they're willing to pay, but it's what you're getting. Is it worth it in the end? Is it worth it in the end? Yeah. And I, I can tell you, some of my clients are starting to retire now and they're now looking back and saying, why did I stay so long? Mm-hmm. I'm tired. I'm, my health is, you know, sorely impacted. I missed seeing some things with my kids. In some ways, COVID this last year, even some of these boomers, they're going, well, wait a second. I don't think it's worth the price anymore. Mm-hmm. And yeah, underscore um, that. Yeah. Well, Susan, I'm curious too. speak to some of the listeners who may be at a decision point uh, in their career, in their life, looking at all those generational crossroads, you know, wherever they might be. What insights or advice would you give someone who is looking at their, whether it's their business or their career or their family life? Uh, how should they approach that fork in the road? You know, I'm, I'm doing a talk on the meaning of purpose or the power of purpose. And one of the things that I'm, I'm sharing is that if you're a singer, you know, a singer has to sing. A singer will sing every single day. A singer will perfect their ability to sing. A runner has to run. I'm not a runner. I don't have that. I have no desire to run every day. But if you're a runner, and I'm not saying that that's necessarily a purpose, but it is meaningful to that person. They will run every day, come heck or high water, right? A singer will sing every day, come heck or high water. And to me, that when people go into, and people often ask me, they said, well, why did you start your business and I, and I said, I had no choice. I had to, because that was my song, if you will. And if mm-hmm. I didn't sing it, I would regret it for a long time. So some people go into it going, oh, wouldn't it be nice to have my own business? Or wouldn't it be nice to change jobs? Well, I always coach them to say, you need to understand what your heart song is because then that will bring out the best in you no matter where you go. Um, but we don't, some, most people are running away instead of running toward. Mm-hmm. And so if they can understand what their heart song is or what their running is or whatever that is, that it's, it's, that's why I said I had no choice. It was starting my own business around this kind of thing was a must do. I couldn't not do it. Uh, I'm not a singer, but I I would imagine a singer would say, I can't not sing. That's right. It it comes down to that Mm -hmm. for sure. Well, Susan, what an enjoyable conversation and we've gotten so much out of it. Want to be sure that we let our listeners know how to connect with you and learn more about your work. Okay. Well, it's very simple. My email address is Susan at LCB, Larry Cat Boy, lcbgroup.com. And it's actually the fastest way I check my email nearly every day. Um, some people say, well, you never take vacation. I'm like, it's because my life is a vacation mm-hmm. and it's work. You know, you're, it's you're living it. That's right. I'm living it. You know, I get to what our clients are opening up. I get to travel internationally here soon. And I always take time out to just go explore the area. So I feel like that for me is the integration. But Susan at lcbgroup.com. 
And Kirsten, uh, just as we summarize here, I think fundamentally this question of can we versus should we drills way down into the purpose of IntelliKey, doesn't it? Oh, without a doubt, Mark, right? The, this notion of reaching your highest potential and you know your highest soul's potential, which is exactly what we've discussed here today, really truly requires that you drill into your purpose you are led by, I love what you talked about, you know, intuition and wisdom, right? Mm -hmm. And doing right for the right reason, yes. right? Just doing right for the right reason, because it's the right thing to do. It is the right and thing. And that includes for ourselves. Susan, thanks again for being our guest. Our guest has been Susan Robertson. Her company is Lynn Cease Consulting Group. We've appreciated having you. Thank you so much. And listeners, come back for our next episode. We'll continue our conversations with IntelliKey leaders around the world on what drives them towards their soul's purpose and how that can inspire us to pursue our purpose as well. For Kirsten Goldie, I'm Mark Stenson. This has been IntelliKey Leadership Stories. See you next time. You've been listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories with your hosts, Kirsten Goldie and Mark Stinson. Connect with us on LinkedIn. And for more information on courses and consulting, visit pureintellikey.com. This program was produced by BSB Media, creators of Intellikey Leadership Stories, Unlocking Your World of Creativity, and thepeaceroom.love. Our podcasts are hosted on Captivate.fm and available anywhere in the world, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Amazon Music, Ghana, and iHeartRadio.